listening to the Mindful Biz Podcast. I'm Alison Morgan, business coach at Relauncher. I'm excited to have Bahar Etminen join us here today. Bahar is an entrepreneur, advocate for continued self-education and digital publishing mastermind. She has a wealth of leadership experience and knowledge, having also held CEO and GM roles within the beauty and luxury categories. She was also the youngest ever brand general manager of Bobby Brown in Australia at just 27. In this episode, we talk about the art of personal and professional reinvention, something that Baha has experienced several times throughout her life. We also talk about knowing when to pull the lever of change and pivoting before waiting for the crisis to hit. Hi, Baha. Thanks so much for joining us here today. How are you? Morning, Alison. I'm excited to be here. I'm in the mood. Oh, so am I. And first, before we get started, Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you and everyone listening, whenever you're listening to this, because I always say every day is New Year's Day, so Happy New Year. It is. It certainly is. All right, then. So we've actually spoken on the Mindful Biz podcast. It was probably about a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, just over a year ago. Yeah. So for those that haven't met you before, I really would love you to introduce yourself. So my name is Baha Etmanen. My... Uh, nationality, my original background is that I'm Iranian. Uh, I emigrated to Australia when I was seven and a half. I was born in France and um, my background is in um, luxury brands and uh, digital publishing. I launched a a website called rescue.com.au about 12 years ago in its current iteration and um, I also have launched an online education platform called Rescue Me Academy. I'm a published author with um, HarperCollins um, Harlequin Division. Uh, my book is called Rescue Me, a makeover guide for the life more fabulous. And um, I'm also a mentor and a consultant. So I work similar to you with businesses on uh, transformation, negotiations, and um, rebranding. Oh my gosh, you have done it all, haven't you? You you must be very busy. <laughs> I've had a lot of lives, I like to say. <laughs> so you know, I remember you saying last time you really have experienced it all over the years. You know, basically you were bringing in millions and then kind of lost it all overnight. Um, can we talk just a little bit of a background because there's just so many learnings that you've had along along your journey. So one of the first business that I launched, I was 28. I left a C-suite job with Estee Lauder Group. I was brand GM of two of their companies, two of their brands, Bobby Brown and Origins. And um, I was engaged to my first ex-husband. I have two ex-husbands, both of whom I love and adore and are still in my life as friends. Um, but I broke off my engagement, I quit my job and I moved to Paris and I enrolled at the Sorbonne University and while I was there I realised that studying French wasn't enough for me, um, even though it was meant to be like a sabbatical. Um, and I wrote a business plan and I started a cosmetic company called Brand Makers. Um, and fast forward, I think it was seven and a half or eight years into the business and I'd gone from having one brand which I'd sourced while I was living in Paris 
to 36 brands and I'd gone from being in nine David Jones stores to over 3,000 stores. I was in Target. I was in Amcal Pharmacy, Priceline Pharmacy, David Jones, Maya, online. Um, I'd launched Rescue as the first pure play um, digital e-commerce site for a cosmetic brand. Um, And overnight I got margin called on a number of different currencies and within two weeks I was margin called on four different currencies because I was importing brands from different countries. I hadn't hedged and um, basically had two weeks to come up with, I think it was about half a million dollars at the time. Oh, my gosh. And in order to come up with a half a million dollars, I had to sell the inventory that I have and any hard assets that I have and come out of contracts. So by the time I unwound my assets to have the liquid resources to pay the bank, I actually ended up owing another half a million dollars. And so I was $960,000 in the hole within two weeks. It was the global financial crisis. The brands that I was representing, a lot of the ones from the US had already gone bankrupt too, hadn't even bothered to tell me. I got on a plane with my mum and went to Miami to see one of the brands because they were in 460 Priceline stores and they were really key to me knowing how if I could pivot out of this mess. And I got to their office and they had padlocks on their door. Then They had not responded to a single email and we were doing hundreds and thousands of dollars of business with them. So when I got there and I saw that, I thought, you know what, I'm stuffed. This is, it's over. So, um, you know, I was just doing uh, everything I could to get water out of the sinking ship and I was given the option to go bankrupt. Uh, I got given the option actually by my bank manager and certainly everyone around me suggested that I do this because they couldn't see me coming out of this mess. Um, And for whatever reason, I think it's just stubbornness. And sometimes I think maybe I made a mistake, I don't know. But for whatever reason, I kind of did a quick assessment of where I was at in life and I thought, I'm 35 years old. I was the person who made millions of dollars, therefore I know how to make millions of dollars and therefore I'll be able to do it again. And my pride simply didn't allow me to be bankrupt. I just did not want to be the person who couldn't hold my head up high. So I had a property, I double mortgaged it, and um, I paid back everyone, didn't go bankrupt. I worked with the administrator, um, closed out every account in full, and I had nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Like I gave back my car, I I sold every single thing that wasn't tied down. And um, what I did have was the domain name for rescue.com.au, which used to be an online store for my brands, and I had a database. And I thought, you know what, I can do something with this. So I turned it into a publishing business with zero publishing experience and absolutely no idea what I was doing, but I had this hunch that the database was valuable and I'd been publishing a bi-monthly newsletter called The Rescue Report, which was quite popular. And so... I'm a big believer in research and metrics. And um, so I did a survey to the subscribers of the Rescue Report and I got a phenomenal response back, like an enormous amount of data. And um, I had someone help me sort through the data and get some, you know, real kernels of learning and information out of it. And I thought, 
this database is valuable. This database can be sold or leased or repurposed. And at first I thought about selling it. And I spoke to someone on the Telstra marketing side of things and they offered me, I think, $2 a name for the database. And I thought, well, that's not going to pay back a million bucks in debt. <laughs> <laughs> but another friend of mine who was in publishing, she was the editor of InStyle at the time, she said, we sell EDMs to our advertisers and you've got nearly three times our database. You should sell EDMs. So I went to David Jones and I said, listen, I've got this big database. Would you buy EDMs? And they said, yes. So my old customers from brand makers became my first customers of Rescue as a publishing business and they bought EDMs. And I thought, oh, this is good. And then I thought, okay, what else can I be doing? I, I had to the double mortgaging that I'd done, I needed to, I think my repayments were about 8600 a month just for the double mortgage. So I thought, okay, that's the base minimum of what I need to pay back the bank and I need money to live on and I need to pay tax. So I worked backwards as to how much I needed to earn each month. And, of course, I was living, you know, very much within my means at this mm. point. No more first-class flights to London. I used oh. to be such a frequent first-class customer of British Airways and Qantas. I knew all the flight attendants. They knew exactly how to set up my bed. They used to have double mattresses for me because like, my back used to – like it was crazy. And then suddenly I was like I literally uh, – I remember going to a car yard somewhere in the West um, with $3,500 cash. And I had to buy a new car because I'd given my car away to be sold to pay towards my debt. And I had $3,500 to buy a car. And I remember when I was 23, I spent $87,000 on a Z3. And here I was at 35 with $3,500 in a car lot. Oh, my gosh. And, and the nice man in the car lot felt so sorry for me because I was crying the whole time that he sold me like a $7,500 car for $3,500 and he said, I make lots of money on lots of other people. I'm not going to make money on you. Here, have it. And that exchange actually really changed my mentality and it made me realise the value in vulnerability. I had gone into that car yard completely vulnerable. I told the truth about my situation. I was not in my power, I was bawling my eyes out and I had to ask this man to help me. I had to tell him exactly where I was at in life, exactly how I felt and I had to give him the power to help me or crush me and he helped me in an industry that's renowned for not being helpful or necessarily honest or um, high integrity. This gentleman just completely restored my faith in humanity and also in the ability of people to step into a void and help you. And so I started asking for help. And that changed everything. I'm telling you, Alison, within a month, my life completely transformed. I had a panel of experts that were the who's who of Australian experts in every field writing for rescue. So the, the whole compass of rescue became expert advice. I had Alex Perry, John McGrath, Luke Mangan, Anthony Bell, Zoe Bingley-Pullen. You know, these are all luminaries in the field of health, wealth, finance, um, you know, entertainment, fashion. And um, only because I asked for help and I told them exactly where I was at. 
And then in terms of business, um, uh, in terms of making money, I approached people I used to that used to be my adversaries in business and I asked them if they had consulting work. I asked for help. I told them I'm in a terrible financial position but I'm available and they knew that I was a fierce competitor and I was, you know, a 28-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 32-year-old, a 34-year-old that had really been competitive to them. And so they hired me as consultant. So I had a really healthy consulting income coming in that covered the cost of my um, loan repayments so that I didn't have to go bankrupt. And I was making money selling advertising on Rescue that didn't even exist yet um, through selling my database. And I had a new purpose, a a renewed purpose, because I was creating this new content, you know, publishing business called Rescue with my experts who were writing articles. And it was only because I'd laid down my swords and stopped trying to be Joan of Arc and I'd asked for help. And that's something that I had to go back to, you know, last year during the um, crisis that was COVID. You know, there weren't many businesses making a lot of money and certainly publishing in Australia, digital publishing got decimated. We saw the closure of, you know, 12 big, big international titles, which a lot of micro businesses fail, uh, you know, a lot of the digital uh, money had gone into influences or search or social media advertising. And I was like, I was on my knees again. I, I truly was on my knees again. And I don't mind saying it. Uh, I was in a terrible relationship that was, you know, I mean, the relationship was exploding or rather imploding. I was in the middle of a media scandal that my then partner had, you know, been embroiled in and um, and my everything was falling down. And this time, you know, I was 46 and um, I had to go back to the basics. I really had to go back to the basics. I had to ask for help. I had to stop my world spinning. I had to put lay down the swords. I had to cut out everything that was extraneous in my life that was taking my energy that was not going to be conducive to me being focused on my business focused on my health focused on my life focused on my daughter I have a daughter this time so um but that muscle memory of failure and that muscle memory of crisis actually served me so well and I was able to um go back to all of those lessons. And, in fact, what I did was I almost treated Rescue like it was a new business. I went back to the beginning and completely re-engineered everything, re-engineered my life, re-engineered everything. And and it was really powerful. And, you know, by the time, you know, uh, New Year's Eve rolled around, I was able to look back and go, I am not who I was six months ago. I literally am not who I was six months ago. Yeah. So, I mean, really what you're saying is throughout these experiences that you've had, you've kind of been forced in a way into kind of personal and and professional reinvention. Um, And, you know, what, what are some learnings beyond what you've already explained that you've kind of found through this process? I've, the learnings that I've had in my experience and also, I guess, in, in my experience with mentoring and consulting uh, as well as having my own businesses that have boomed and busted um, is that no one seeks change really. Yeah. You really don't. And it's stupidly uncomfortable. 
Um, and you look at anything, you know, a diet is a change. Uh, learning to meditate is a change. And the first few attempts of it are deeply uncomfortable. They don't feel like you. So when a crisis comes and so many aspects of your life are forced into change, the discomfort is is so manifold. It's coming from so many different angles. You're just like in this whirlpool of <laughs> um, movement and chaos and change, That, but you almost have no control over it. And so what I've, I started to do as soon as I could see the signs of the whirlpool coming, I started pulling the levers of change myself mm. and that really empowered me. So instead of, I'll give you an example, in my personal life, Instead of allowing that whole thing to implode on me, I exited the relationship. So I could either wait for that whole thing to, to collapse on me or I could say, okay, these are the steps I can take. And one of the steps I can take is making a choice. I don't have to be here. So I chose not to be there. And I chose it in a respectful, adult, pre-crisis manner. Mm. And that was only from experience rather than waiting for the whole thing to fall on my head. I went, actually, I'm out. This is not for me. I'm out. And the steps I need to take is to completely remove myself from this situation and to go back to me. Other things, with the business side of things, I realised that the business was going to go down the drain. And so I stopped and I thought, what do I need to do differently before I'm forced to do recovery what can I do, which is, you know, what can I do now? So I stopped the wheels turning. I actually stopped publishing and I peeled back even some of the most successful relays and I took, I took hold of the change process. And before, you know, it hit a brick wall, I started doing all the things that I knew were valuable. So I, I started doing the market research before things came to a grinding halt, spoke to the bank, before, you know, I was in desperate needs. I looked at the way that the site looked, was performing, how readers were interacting with it before it was a disaster. So I was ahead of and I was almost, um, I, was, I was pulling the trigger rather than being triggered, if you know what I mean. Was that still uh, hard to do though? Oh, yeah, so hard to do. Of course it's hard mm. to do because... Part of you is in denial, which is what happens to most people as things are going bad. And that's why, um, you know, 2020 is uh, perfect vision, right? Uh, hindsight is fantastic. And But when you're in it, you most people think that the same thing is going to happen tomorrow, but it's always in a split second that your life changes. So you're either behind the split second or ahead of it. And because I'd had experience of disaster before, I actually could smell disaster in the air. <laughs> so I knew all, all of the things that were kind of the signposts of you either act now or you re react later. You know what I mean? Mm. So I started just trying to get ahead of it, ahead of the tidal wave and in everything in my life. So I knew that once the disaster came, I'd have to rebuild my health. So I got ahead of it. I went, okay, what do I need to do right now before I'm in crisis? Because the whirlpool is coming. What? And so I started 
doing all of that. And one of the other things that I did is I started daring myself to, to do change. So I actually started pushing my own limits to become fit for the chaos that was happening. So I started changing everything myself because you become really proud of yourself when you extend yourself. You become Mm. really proud of yourself when you set new boundaries. You become really proud of yourself when you keep your word to yourself. So, for example, um, I changed up my entire fitness routine because I knew I, I was going to have to be body fitness, mentally healthy for the challenges of the the six months ahead. And so I started meditating again. I hadn't been meditating in years, in decades, but I knew I needed a clear head. And I knew that, you know, all the changes that were coming and all the pain and stress I was about to go through, they needed a clear head. So before I fell into, you know, the... um, chronic, you know, uh, stress mode, I started meditating and it was bloody uncomfortable and not very fun for the first few weeks. It's really hard to stop when you don't want to, when you don't want to face anything. But I kind of, I persevered and, you know, I went from doing my 20 minutes in the morning to doing 20 minutes twice a day. And it, like the reward, anyone who's done meditation. Yeah, makes all the difference, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes it, it makes a difference, and the reward is the difference. So, mm. again, as things were coming up, I was mentally fit. Mm. I was able to stop the world turning. I was able to not go back to the the things that you know comforted me before. I, you know, I, I was in this on again, off again, on again, off again uh, pattern with my former relationship. Zero contact. I mean, tumbleweed. I did not want to pick up the phone. I did not care what that person. Was. I, w- I was different. I was in a completely different zone, um, and I was ready to face stress. So, as I was facing like hard business decisions, because I'd made myself mentally fit, I wasn't making those decisions with cortisol racing through my veins. I wasn't making those decisions. Uh, off the back of being triggered. I was making those decisions from a really peaceful, astute, um, mindful state. The other thing I did, I became physically fit because I thought, well, we're in a pandemic. Your health and your physical fitness is going to actually mean a lot. And one of the things that I've, I've always been super lazy to do is cardiovascular, you know, a vascular fitness. I hate anything. That's... I've seen you've been going to Barry's. I did. Are you, you loving it? I'm loving it, but yeah. it is so funny because anyone who's ever known me will know <laughs> that it is the exact opposite of how my body is built, how my brain is built, how, you know, it's, it's a, it was actually facing every physical fear of my life. Wow. And it, it's like meditating. Meditating brings up all the things you don't want to look at. It's mm. like therapy. It's like, oh, I don't want, no, I'm not really that person. No. It's like, yeah, you are. And, you know, when you're on a treadmill and you have to sprint, <laughs> you're facing every time you avoided sprinting and every time you, you know, you didn't have the lung capacity. But anyway, I just made it, I made it my mission to kind of face the physical limitation that I'd yeah. always thought and felt I had and and breaking those barriers and getting good was it it was me versus me and it was part of the whole thing it was part of all the things 
all the fear that I was faced. You know, I I dealt with the fear of codependency. I dealt with that head on before it crumpled me. I um, stillness and mindfulness. I dealt with that. You know, the financial avalanche. I dealt with that. You know, I had the hard conversations with the bank um, before I had to have the hard conversations. I you know. I got my ducks in a row. And um, anyway, so little by little I changed those. And then I actually noticed I was thinking differently. I was behaving differently. I was inspired differently. And I thought, okay, it's time to change everything. And I I spent the the last part of the past six months changing everything, all the things that were hard. I started reading books that I had put off reading my entire life. I read books from all different, you know, uh, fiction, non-fiction, biographies of people whose politics I didn't believe in because if you just keep reading what you know, what are you learning? You don't Mm. even have, you know, an erudite response as rebuttal. How would you know? So I started reading the biographies of people I really don't like, um, I don't believe in their their views, their style. And it's really interesting because when you open your mind just from a perspective of let's just see, this is an experiment, it's a six-month experiment, you, you actually can connect to all sorts of things and you can see that it is possible to change. And, look, you might not suddenly go from left to right, but you can at least have empathy and understanding of how that person got that way. And so you're not that far apart. And you find that, you know, if you're in a negotiation with a person who's really wide the way that, you know, someone whose biography you've invested, you know, 100 hours reading, um, you're in that person's head. So it's not lost. You haven't just done it for an experiment. The opportunity does come to use that information in business. Because you might come across someone who's so different to you, but once you know how that person is mentally wired, you can actually navigate that in, to your advantage. Yeah. I started reading poetry. I started watching movies and documentaries that of subjects that I was not normally interested in, and it made me realise how truncated my uh, attention span had become because mm. of social media. I changed what I wore. I changed what I ate, I changed what I drank, I changed the music I listened to, I listened to podcasts I would never have listened to. I cannot tell you how many things I preempted and flipped up and the growth and the resilience and the fitness of the mind, body and soul that I've experienced in the past six months has been just unbelievable and I know it's been unbelievable because when the same old scenarios or situations or people came back into my life to kind of test I responded in a completely different way I was was a different person I was a different and so the things that would bother me before didn't bother me the the um, things that would tempt me before didn't tempt me um the limitations I saw in myself before didn't limit me. And that was only in six months. And I'm wow. really late. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that is a, that is incredible. I think that a lot of people can relate. <clears throat> Whether they've taken action or not is another thing. But, you know, like 
COVID clearly put everyone under a huge amount of pressure and that, you know, we've never even experienced before. And it's, it's when you're put in that pressure or crisis moment that, you know, really does sort of push you to work out, am I going to make changes or not? And, there's, you know, there's lots of people that don't. They'll just sit there and just go, this is what's happened to me. Um, I don't know if I would have made those changes in such a strategic way had I not had a crisis before. I was going to ask you that. That was my next question, yeah. Yeah, and and I think so. I think the generation who's experienced COVID as their first crisis is actually going to respond so differently to their next crisis. I grew up in war and a revolution when I was seven and a half. I I saw... um, Wonder Woman 2 with my daughter. I've actually watched it twice with my daughter. And the reason I wanted to watch it the second time is that there's a scene where um, the world is kind of Washington, D.C. is falling apart and there are people in the streets and they're losing and they're running around. And I actually, it, it's a fantastical, futuristic movie scene. I did it when I was seven mm. in Tehran, in the streets. I was in the streets with a million people marching holding my mother's hand, watching tanks in the street, people looting, people toppling down statues and stuff. So I thought, oh, it's really interesting because that to most people is the ultimate chaotic crisis scene that they could experience and that's why it's in this Wonder Woman movie and I thought that's why when, you know, the GFC happened or when I've had really extreme crisis and I've experienced some extreme crisis in my life, that's why I can cope with it because I had that when I was seven and a half or seven because of the GFC experience that I had when I nearly lost my business and everything and was just leveled I was able to cope with the COVID crisis and I think you know because of the COVID crisis the next general you know everyone next time they something happens we're all going to be a lot we're all going to cope with difficulty and crisis and massive change so much better so we all become more and more resilient and it's only through pain and failure and crisis and chaos that we've developed that resilience Mm. and it's interesting you know how close how close-knit business and life is you know like they really are two of the same thing especially when you're an entrepreneur because you are the business the business is you Mm. So how how do you juggle all your time? Because you've got a lot going on. I Look, one of the things I made a decision on years ago is that I wasn't going to bring work into downtime because it actually makes your brain really mushy. So I have really clear delineation of um, work time and off time and I don't take calls and I don't respond to emails and I don't make myself available anymore when I'm not available. Mm. So I have really clear boundaries for that. Also, the other thing is, which is funny, is there was a time where I really wasn't busy and that was actually more devastating to me than being busy. So now I'm actually quite, I quite enjoy when I'm really busy and I try to be really mindful and enjoy the buzz of being busy when I am busy if that makes sense. Yeah, you and I are very similar. <laughs> oh, really? Because yes, I'm like that as well. Because I used to take that for granted until I wasn't busy and I thought, gosh, I miss that vibe and the buzz and the adrenaline of being busy. So now when I am like that, I go, 
just remember you really love this. You get off on this. So just be in it, marinate in it, suck it all for what it is because there may come a time where there's a long time or a long stretch where you're not. Mm. And it's the same with like, you know, uh, if I'm eating something delicious or uh, I'm in the company of someone that, you know, makes my heart sing or, you know, like you're kissing someone or whatever, you know what yeah. I mean? Someone that, you know, okay, like be in this kiss, like mm. be here right now or, you know, when my daughter comes and wants to do something sweet for me or or ask for me to stay a little bit longer in her room before I, I leave so she can go to bed, I go, be here right now. Yeah. The great love of your life has asked for your company for five minutes longer. Mm. Give her five minutes longer. Be here right now. And, mm. so, yeah, I've learned that. I think <laughs> meditation helps you learn that as well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. You're right. I think actually you're right. I hadn't even thought about that. But, yes, that, that's, that would be the difference that makes a difference in that for me, yeah. Mm. Being more mindful. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, Baha, where can everyone find you? So, everywhere. I so on <laughs> I'm everywhere. So, on Instagram, it's at rescue, R-E-S-C-U, no E on the end of rescue.com.au. Uh, on YouTube, it's Rescue TV. Uh, the courses are rescuemeacademy.com. The website is rescue.com.au. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you, oh, you're on LinkedIn as well. I'm and on LinkedIn yes. as Baha Edmanen. Yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I'd love to have your feedback on this uh, podcast as well. And, I'd and I'm open to learning from people. So if you've got any kind of uh, examples and, um, you know, ideas for how to stretch and grow and make yourself kind of chaos fit, because God knows, you know, more things are going to come up. I'm only halfway through my life, so certainly more things are going to come up. So if you've got any ideas on how to become resilient and chaos ready, email Send me. through, yes. Baha, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, it was so good to speak to you. Lovely always to speak to you. And I love all the lessons and the tips that you share. I listen to all your business tips all the time. I love them. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.